0: So, yeah, look, Daphne, I'll I'll start with the first question. And thanks very much for doing this uh, for me. um, But tell me, why do you do what you do?
1: David, it's so good to be here and have this conversation with you. Um, I was saying to you when you sent me these questions, they're they're very philosophical. So I feel like I have to go back to my childhood to tell you why I do what I do. Um, So let me start there as a child. So my father had a philosophy about money that money was earned and not owned like you don't you don't just win money you have to work for it Um, so from a very young age I took all sorts of little jobs in order to make money Um, so that started with like small chores at home like washing the dishes or cleaning up Um, and as I grew up those jobs started to become bigger. So my dad owned an engineering business and I used to go over after school and I used to help everyone with their computers or I used to do the post. So that's how I made my pocket money when I when I was growing up. Right. And uh, in school, for example, I was as a big nerd. I did very well in school. And I saw an opportunity to help other people. And I used to do, um, I used to charge people to do their assignments. So I used to make money uh, by helping people doing their assignments. And um, I also, for example, I saw my school had this uh, chewing gum ban. You couldn't bring chewing gums because people used to put them under the tables and, you know, best, so I obviously saw an opportunity to start a black market of chewing gum so I just I just sold chewing gum in school so I honestly found business opportunities everywhere to make money as, as a child and as a teenager um and that really instilled like the super strong work ethic on me um of like you know if you want something you work for it uh but also this I where, you know, what are the opportunities here? Can I make can I make a business out of this challenge? Can I make business out of this opportunity that I see? So you fast forward to college, right? So I, I studied chemistry. Um, And in my final semester, I did a work placement. This was something that everybody had to do. And I ended up in a water purifying facility. And to give you a little bit of context, was a high containment facility. So I worked on my own, white coat, mask, everything covered off all day. And if you know me, even a little bit, You'd be surprised to see me working by myself, can't talk to anybody, can't have any interactions. And to say it was frustrating is an understatement. Um, At that point, I really realized that that wasn't my environment. I needed to to do something different.
0: No business opportunities, right?
1: No business opportunities (laughs) in the lab, exactly. You know, very process-driven. You do A, B, and C. You follow the instructions. um, You're not creative there. You know, obviously, there is room for creativity in science, absolutely. But when you're young and you're starting off and you're in a placement, all you're doing is following orders, right? So not an environment that I felt like was very... Motivating, encouraging—really didn't see myself uh, as part of that, and I had this huge identity crisis when this happened. And this happened because I was like, okay, I just spent years in this college degree studying this thing, and I thought that this is what I wanted. Again, like you choose so young. I I went to college particularly young, and you know, I basically just picked the subject I was best at in school, right? It's like, here's my highest grades. It must be the thing I'm supposed to do. Let me just go and do it. So this this identity crisis of like just realizing I had studied so long, um, which felt so long at that time as well, right? So like now looking back when you think about three or four years, it's not that long. But, you know, when you're, when you're 19, 20, like that is just so much time. Uh, so I decided to go traveling um, and you know discover what it is that is the next step for me like take a, take a break and just see the world uh, understand um who am i and what do i want what is the next uh next step for me and this is when i moved from brazil to ireland i was supposed to be here for six months this is 13 years later i'm still here <laughs> Um, but what this did was I arrived in the middle of the financial crisis, right? It was like in 2009, there was um, literally, you know, the country was suffering. Um, if you were here at the time, I'm sure you remember this. Um, but for me, what that was, is was also a load of opportunities, right? Whenever you have challenges, you have opportunities. And I, I found myself... Um, In a situation where, okay, I'm in a different country, I'm really enjoying this. um, And now I have an opportunity to take this, um, this degree that I have and maybe see what are transferable skills that I have and try to implement and apply that in a sector that is still moving forward. So I ended up working besides the, the you know series of random jobs I had, but I ended up landing a role which was very much in business analytics. Um so obviously a lot of the work that I did in chemistry was analyzing data. So it was a it's a good transferable skill I had. Um and Entered this job really not that it was in a retail business and I knew nothing about retail, but I loved business. Right. So, again, I fell in love with this idea of looking at data and finding business opportunities that emerged from that. So, like, what do we do with this? Um, Very quickly, I was able to automate a lot of my role. So um, for those who are listening and know business analytics, you probably today use so many different tools, you know, data visualization tools to, to, to get there. But when I first started doing this job, especially in the environment that I was, it was Excel sheets, right? That that's all we had. It was just Excel sheets and nothing was automated. Like people were manually doing that work. Um, and, I just dove deep into Excel, um, learned a lot on YouTube, learned a lot online, and I was able to really just automate my job. The job that took me hours and hours every day to do, I was now able to do with a few clicks because I was able to automate it. It was a solution that I put together and I then, you know, presented to the rest of my team. I was really excited about it. Um, And then I faced a thing that I had never faced before, which was resistance to change. You know, obviously at a time, as I said, it's the financial crisis, people are worried about their jobs. Now this young lady that just walks through the door invents this thing that can now do our jobs in one click. Like it was a few clicks, but it was very quick uh, in relation to, you know, being the person who does that manually every day. I faced huge resistance. Nobody wanted to use it. Everybody said it, it didn't work and it picked the model apart. And of course, there were things that could be improved. But in general, the sense wasn't this is amazing. Let's work on this and let's make this better. The sense was, I don't want to see this. And um, so this was baffling to me, right? Again, like as a as a young person who, who was passionate about, about finding solutions. I was, I just didn't understand and I didn't have the finesse of the, the emotional intelligence to really understand what was under the hood, why were people worried? What was this, what was the cause of this worry and this resistance? So um my boss at the time, um she really loved working with me and she loved what I did but she knew she understood the resistance from people she started giving me all these special projects to do so I had a few years of really exciting work that I did with like helping open new stores and find locations and you know focus on like uh, even even the the production process like I just worked in so many projects during that time because the reality was that she saw me as an asset but she understood that I needed to develop my skills in terms of like driving big change um and yeah so like slowly but surely I started developing that that skill set and fell in love more and more how technology was changing businesses and creating those opportunities um and so a a great opportunity to work in that intersection of humans and technology. And started consulting on the side with uh, with a woman I met um, through my network. She she was already consulting in implementation of technology. And what she started to do was she started sending me some of her consulting clients that she maybe wasn't able to work with or she started signing them up and then you know contracting me to do part of the work with her and that started growing so much that it became enough for me to be confident to leave the day job to actually move fully into this into that space and what was a contract it became you know a company we actually started a business um and that was a um implementation business where we came in and we started doing implementations uh for project management technology in a lot of of the cases and helping people change the the methodology and the systems that they use to manage their projects so that they could achieve more in their organizations um and and really that was the core like it was this journey of finding out that i love identifying opportunities i love finding solutions i love working with technology but then none of that matters without the people. And then like the journey of finessing my skills of working with working with people. Um, I very much feel like I I found my niche right through this journey. Whatever I do next, like today I work with customer success, which is how customers get the most value out of a product. Of course, I lead a large team. And so I'm not there in the in the in the trenches actually doing the work, but I'm then doing the strategic work that will help us do more for our customers. So I'm honestly, I, I feel like I definitely found my purpose and I, and I get this huge pleasure of coming into work every day, knowing that I'm working with something that I personally find so meaningful and so exciting.
0: Wow, what an answer. Amazing. <laughs> um, I love that. Uh, talk to me just about... That interface that you talk you spoke about you know humans and and technology there's so much talk now about our our machines going to take over jobs and all that type of stuff but what do you see as being the great opportunity that lies in the human and technology kind of interface
1: Oh wow um I think. First of all, I I am excited about that. I know that there is fear, absolutely. Like people talk about, like how machines can replace humans and how they can, you know, do some of our jobs better than than what we could do. We talk about even like you know something. Um, there's Dali, the new um, AI, who's like producing works of art and. You know, I think that there is a certain number of people that are afraid of that. And I don't blame them. I understand the fear. But honestly, if I look back to how technology has changed everything that we do, 10 years ago, the jobs we do today didn't exist. Right. Like, yeah, and I talk this from a perspective of working in technology, you know, digital marketing. That wasn't a thing, you know, like 20 years ago before we had the Internet or at least the Internet was, was the main place to do business. Um, app developer, you know, iPhones didn't exist, smartphones didn't exist. So I think I tend to look. When I think about this, I, I tend to think about what are the opportunities, right? Technology will come and it will absolutely take some of the jobs that we do. But what what other jobs, what other opportunities, what other things will be available to us once those things happen? And I think we have enough proof. I mean, go back as far as you want on this, right? With like invention of the telephone, invention of the airplane, like you can go as back as you want. And every time that we had this injection of technology into our lives, there have been incredible opportunities. I'm not saying it comes without any cost. There is, there's definitely negative impacts. And I think we need to be better at um preventing thinking about being more proactive about the the negative side but I think the opportunities outweigh the 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 negatives and yeah I'm excited about that um again when I think about specifically the the work I do with um I work with um, customer relationship management technology when I think about that and I think about how much time people in my teams spend trying to find the right data to have the right conversations with customers. If I can implement things that make that part of the job, the 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 crunching of the job easy, that they don't have to touch it and enable them to be in front of their customers having more meaningful conversations for more of their time, I think that's a win, right? Anything I can do for that. So I'm excited about about the changes. I'm not naive to say that. I don't think there'll be negative consequences. I think there will. Uh, And we need to be careful with those and we need to be proactive. But yeah, I'm excited in general.
0: You strike me, uh, you mentioned opportunity a couple of times and seeing that, but you strike me as an optimistic and positive person and that's your starting point it seems Mm, um if it's not your starting point then yes some of this stuff can just seem oh my god very frightening or scary and overwhelming but that um mindset that you have seems to help would you what would you think about that
1: yeah i would say it is my outlook in life um it is a it is a positive, optimistic one. As I said, I come from a science background. I am very pragmatic when it comes to data. Um, and by being pragmatic, I avoid the the negative, I think. um you know, i, I don't I don't usually fall for the apocalyptic scenario because. We just haven't seen that yet. Yeah. History hasn't shown us this. The data doesn't show us that. Um, so I tend to be very pragmatic and then fall into the optimistic um ca- kind of side of the of the conversation. I'm also I'm also in awe, right, of everything that we that we have created. For for all we know, we're we're apes, <laughs> you know, and and the amount of stuff that we have done, the incredible advancements you know when I think about like space exploration which I'm really excited about like it's just incredible to think that we are able to create technology that enables us to do unthinkable things uh, so yeah very positive I'm very positive in my outlook of these things
0: and I, I just going back to what you said about that that first kind of role here in Ireland, and I discovered a formula that we could, um, you know, could reduce time for people and all that type of stuff. And I get resistance. And you spoke about maybe not having the the emotional intelligence or the the finesse maybe to communicate that. When you think back to that time, what do you think were the mistakes you made, or what do you think you might do differently? Or tell me about that.
1: I first I thought that showing. A solution that I thought was clearly better was enough right no why needed no explanation no painting of a future of what we do then like if we are not doing this what, what else do we do you know like I thought that it, it all spoke for itself and that like everybody would be excited about this because you have all this extra time and you can do all these other things that maybe are on your task list or that you've wanted to do without realizing that not everybody thinks like me. So I think the big lesson, a a big lesson for me was how much I needed to focus on storytelling and and really walking people and getting their buy-in to this vision of the future that i had now if you ask me did i have a clear vision of the future at the time not really like i wasn't i wasn't super strategic to say like here is like the 10 things that we're going to be able to achieve on the back of this but what i did have was this ambition to do more right and i knew that i was seeing other things in the department and even outside of the department that i was excited about and in my head i thought Great, I get to do less of this, and this is this job is done, is important, but it will be done. And then I have more time to do to maybe explore all those things. A lot of people don't think like that. Yeah. They're happy to come in and do the job that they want, and they, they find security on that, especially as I said, in the times of financial crisis where people are like, okay, if I'm not needed, then am I gonna be gone? You know? So I I think that storytelling and getting people excited about the vision is something that I didn't have and that I have developed. Now, I'm still working on this as a leader. Every day, I keep saying, like, you know, a lot of the work that I do is think about how do we think do things better and differently and then presenting it to people, getting their buy-in, et cetera. Um, so I think I'm still every day refining this. However, at that time, I had zero of that. <laughs> Um, the other thing I think that, um, that I I didn't necessarily um, uh, realize I was saying to you, like I thought everybody thought like me. I I didn't really understand people's motivations to come to work, right? Like I, my motivation was, as I said, I loved finding cool things to do, opportunities and challenges and problems. Like that is the space where I thrive and I find. Um, I find satisfaction in my role. Not everybody is like that. Some people want to come to work and do do a really good job, do that job from nine to five and then go home. Like some some people want to do that and there's nothing wrong with that. Right, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, uh, but again, the awareness of of re- even looking at the team I had around me and mapping those people, right, to understanding my stakeholders and saying who do I need on my side to get this over the line and get this done, who do I need to work a little harder on a one on one to convince them. Like I, I had nothing of that, you know. In my in my head, it was like, here it is, an email fire out. Here is how you do this. End of the story. Next thing, you know. So, yeah, a lot of that, a lot of the softer skills that I think come with um, maturity and mileage in working with human beings.
0: Our strap line as you know in below the line is live well perform better um and I'd love to know what from your own perspective does that mean to you?
1: I think this is a fantastic question and it is changing and is evolving, right? Um and the you know, the more the, the more life experience I get the more value I put into defining this for myself. If you if you ask me this in my early 20s, um, you know, live well would be, you know, am I, am I eating, am I sleeping and am I working? And that was all. There was nothing else in my life. I was very focused on on career above everything. Now like a more experienced and mature Daphne, I value I value my I value my life outside work uh, a lot. So by that I mean hobbies. I have things outside work that bring me satisfaction and joy. Um and for example exercise. I I love exercising and I love the outdoors. So I I love being I love hiking mountains, I love surfing. So for me to live well is to integrate those things into my life, um, is to be able to have a good balance. And I'm not a fan of the word work-life balance because I think it's about integration. You know, sometimes in your life, you're going to have busy weeks and months in work. Maybe you're working towards a promotion or you're closing out a project and your balance per se will, will disappear. But in general, are you living a balanced life? So I think, I think you know, integrating the, the, the outdoors and the exercise into my life is really important. Um, I'm vegetarian and I try to eat very well. So again, like, how am I eating? If my eating is, is changed in any way, like if I have, you know, a couple of days where I'm like, takeaways, I don't have time my energy changes like my energy drops I become a little bit more frantic so again eating well is important I realize now that eating well is a huge part of me being able to do the things that I love hiking surfing working and doing them with with an energy that is um um and like I'm not pushing myself to do it, yeah. I'm like I'm I'm energized to to get it done. Sleep is another thing. Again, it's you know. So how many nights have I spent working in my early early twenties to very late? You know, now I'm sacred about my sleep. Um, I. I go to bed at 9:30 in the evening. Uh, I mean I don't fall asleep. I might be reading a book in low light for a little while, but you know, but getting those 8 hours of sleep is really important for me. Um so it's it's about for me it's it's about the basics, right? It's like getting those basics right and doing the stuff that I love outside work. Um one thing that's becoming increasingly important for me is time with family. Uh, which again wasn't necessarily that important earlier on and now for me I don't I don't have children I'm not married but even like spending time with my mother spending time like with my aunties like those things have become very important and they do energize me while before maybe they they drained energy out of me I was I couldn't wait to be out of the house or now there are things that I look forward to. And, and, and even if I'm having a difficult situation, the first person I'll pick up the phone and call is my mother, even though my mother will have no idea. My mom thinks I sell computers. That's like her definition of my job. <laughs> she has, she can't give me any work advice, um, but she can give me like life advice and she can she can listen and she can empathize, which again, like I think that those things are, are really, really important. So, so for me, uh, like life has it is that integration of, of, of life and, and work and the ability to spend time with people I love, um, get the basics right with food and and sleep and get my outdoors, my exercise. And the last thing I'll say is, um, I do believe in, in working, working like a lion and not like a cow. So I sprint and I do a lot of work and then I like relaxing, right? So it's, I, I try to take time in between uh, busy periods. Like, for example, this year, I made a commitment to myself that I was going to take time off every quarter. Last year, like, it was a crazy year for us. I I mean, super successful, but... I didn't take as much time off. Um, I crossed the year with you know leftover days on my holiday spreadsheet, and I I felt that way. I didn't I didn't have enough time off. So this year I baked that very much into my operating rhythm where it's like, okay, every quarter, time off. I'm taking a week off, even if it's to get in a car and camp in West Clare and surf, you know, even if I'm not doing something fancy. I need to take the time out. And it's fantastic how much perspective you get from, from having time off. Um, so yeah, uh, those are some of the things that I think uh, are living well uh, and performing better.
0: You've touched on a lot of this already in terms of my next question, which I I, used, I always ask in the podcast, which is what are the practices or habits, behaviors that you engage in? But I'm wondering if I could ask you that in the context of your role, you know, as a leader and as a manager, maybe are, are there things there that we haven't discussed or touched on already that you think, yeah, I, I invest in those to help me perform better in, in, in particularly in, in terms of work?
1: Yes. So... What I would say is one of my biggest investments is on planning um, in terms of how I plan my weeks, my months. So having a clear set of priorities, right? And being very clear, here's the two or three things that I am going to get done this month or this quarter. And those things become North Stars. Why I say that is is easy to get caught up in doing everything and trying to move the needle in every single aspect of, of your team. And the reality is that that overwhelms me. And I know that if overwhelms me, it overwhelms everybody around me. Um, so I try to spend time at the start of the quarter, Actually, at the end of the previous quarter, really planning what the next quarter is about and what are my priorities. And then I keep myself honest. Every single month, every single week, I started by looking back at those priorities, selecting the things that I'm going to move the needle on, and then I can have that focus. And then it's easier to say no to things because I can say very clearly, for example, to my manager who might come to me and say, oh, there's this thing that I need you to do. And I can say very clearly, great. It sounds like this is really important. I have these other three things to do, which I think are more important, but help me calibrate. Because if I do need to move something out of here, I'm happy to. However, I know that I can't take more than this without tipping into the um, the zone of not performing well in those, in those areas. Um, so planning would be a really important one. Then the other thing is, I'm on meetings all day. My job is 90% meetings, right, between one-on-ones with my managers, between projects that I lead, between, um, you know, conversations with the the broader team and presentations that I do about initiatives. Like a lot of the stuff that I do is meetings. And it's wild to go to, you know, from a one-on-one meeting with somebody sharing something personal and maybe they're struggling to go into a big strategy session, to then going into the nitty-gritty of a project. Like, there are such different contexts. And in the beginning, I struggled with that. So now what I do is I build micro breaks on my calendar. So I try to finish every meeting at the 5 to the hour, right? So that gives me a few minutes, even if it's just to step away from the laptop, grab grab a glass of water, but really recenter, right? And like, who do I want to show up to this meeting as? Um, And that helps me really, really show up for people as well. Because as I said, when you have a a big conversation about a a huge company issue that has financial implications, et cetera, and then somebody comes in a one-on-one and shares something small in comparison, but big for them, you know, they might be struggling with the task. It's easy for me to fall into the low empathy zone where I'm like, that's so small in the context, you know, in the scheme of things, the grad scheme of things, this is so small. That's unimportant. Right. And I, and I can get to that low empathy zone, which is terrible, right. As a, as a people leader, it's really important to, to, to help people navigate those challenges and you shouldn't compare them with the challenges of the organization, et cetera. So building those micro breaks really helps me uh, and helps me show up better for the people around me, for the projects that I lead, et cetera. Um, and then finally, I would say like, I don't get to go to, to the mountains every day of the week, but I do try to get to the gym or play tennis, do something that's active. I find that breaking a sweat makes the whole difference in, in like, just turning off for the day. So after work, pack my bags off to the gym or off for a run, like something needs to get done at the end of the day for me to find separation between the work day and, and my personal life.
0: You know, just taking your, uh, if you like, you know, where you sit right now in terms of your role at the sector you're in, but what what are the main performance or, or business challenges that you see people facing right now or that you think are are on the horizon?
1: I think I can't give you an answer without talking about the financial situation that the world is in, right? So the technology business in general said the sector has been riding the wave of growth, right? We've been growing so fast during COVID with people rushing to go online. You saw this huge spikes in uh, in sales and therefore valuations and stock prices, et cetera. So now the challenge is to go back to a normal right and because it feels like a decline like when you look at the graph right so there's this big spike of growth and now it looks like this sharp descent right so it's like this this um upside down v on the graph and like it looks terrible, right? Like if you, you know, if you if you show that outside, uh, uh, you know, if you zoom in without context into that decline, you can feel like everything is going wrong, everything is wrong. What what is happening? The company is breaking down, the team is not performing, etc. But when you zoom out of that graph, what you realize is that. In, uh, luckily in in our business, but I I do believe that in a lot of the technology businesses is that you're going back to the normal rate of growth, right? You had a spur, and now you're back. And getting getting around that, like really understanding that and behaving accordingly to say nothing that we're doing has necessarily broken down completely we don't have to throw the baby with the bathwater. of course there are areas where we need to improve areas where we need to keep uh, thinking and asking questions about like is this the best way of doing this however it's we can't just throw everything away because it's it's macro environmental is also a result of how out of the charts the last two or three years have been in terms of what, what we have experienced in the technology sector. So I think that that is why I say this is a, a big one is because even from a mindset perspective, right, when you come to work uh, every day as an individual contributor or as a leader, if you come to work every day thinking that everything is wrong, that the team isn't performing, that you're questioning your processes, you're questioning your people, you are going to be in a panic zone, right? Because it will feel like everything is broken. And I think that when people are in that panic zone, they start just throwing things at everyone, right? And especially as a leader, I'm very conscious of that. It's like, oh, we're going to change this. We're going to change that. We're going to change that. And then you overwhelm people. So people feel like they're not performing, that they are doing a poor job. So their confidence is low. And now you throw a bunch of things on them. So now they're overwhelmed and... (laughs) not confident about their ability to perform. And then I think you get into a vicious cycle where you actually do end up performing worse, right? Worse than what you even could because you're in that panic and low confidence zone. Um, So I think that this is a, a a big problem. And we need to, as leaders specifically, we need to help people navigate that by really understanding what is, what do we focus on? And how do we continue with the things that we're working independently of what the situation of the world is? I think target setting is a big piece of that. Obviously, in technology, we're we're used to double digit growth year on year. year. Is that going to happen this year? Not for many companies, you know, like some lucky companies are still there in that, in that, in that quadrant, but most companies are, are not. And that's why you're seeing so many of the layoffs, et cetera, because they, you know, hired ahead for future growth that they planned that's just not materializing. So I think the financial crisis is absolutely the, the like a, a big one, but it's how we respond to that and how we, we as leaders react within our teams and our businesses um, uh, to help our teams navigate that. So that's a big one. And then I think the other piece, um, which is, again, challenge opportunity, I like seeing opportunities, it, we're coming out of a remote world, right, where we were all forced to go remote. Remote was the only way you had to be virtual to a hybrid world. And personally, I don't think anybody has figured that out. Um, everyone I talk to that leads hybrid teams are struggling to really think about what hybrid means right and it's like still doing a lot of their stuff remotely when I think people are craving connection and we haven't yet figured out how to um how to bring that connection element with the flexibility element Um, I think I have some ideas on how I might implement some things you know into into my team into my business but I do think that that challenge of like building connection in a hybrid world is a big one for leaders to figure out.
0: And then lastly, um, my, my final question, what's, what's the one piece of advice that you would give to anyone looking to connect with this idea of living well and performing better?
1: I would be very stoic about this advice. And, and I would say, start with you, right? Like be, be, analytical and critical about what this means for you and the definition of it. Dig deep into the why, because I think we live in a society where there's a lot of things that we desire and think are right because other people are doing and you see them doing it. But what does it mean for you? And is it really important to you to get this done? Boil it to the basic and then act accordingly organize your life, structure your life, make choices based on that definition and be uncompromising about that. Um, Because otherwise, I think it's easy for you to fall into the trap of either living someone else's dream of what living better means and performing well means. Um, and then not be happy, not be satisfied with the life that you've built because you just fell into this trap of like following somebody else's footsteps. So look inwardly, like ask the hard questions. You're not gonna you know, emerge from like a room by spending an hour on this, having defined, but spend the time investigating it because it's the only way you're going to live well by your means, by your standards, as if you know what the definition of that is.
0: Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Amazing. (laughs) Lastly, just before you go, uh, you mentioned your podcast. um, Just tell us where can people find you and um, connect with you, etc.
1: Yeah, so I am extremely active on LinkedIn. So you can find me Daphne Costa Lopez on LinkedIn. I have uh, the orange background photo from HubSpot that everybody has so you can find me. And I'm also on, as you said, my podcast. So I've started a podcast called This Is Growth and we are in on Spotify. We are on Apple Podcasts. And I also have a website, DaphneLopez.com. So you can find me there as well.
0: Fantastic. Well, Daphne, thank you very, very much for giving me your time and um, your passion, your enthusiasm. But most, most of all, for me, it's your energy that just comes across. So I think anyone listening to this is going to get a good dose of your energy. So thanks a million for being a guest. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much, David. You too. Bye bye.